doing that uh, allows us to be more personalised with our communications. And, and that's definitely the future for us in government communications, you know, making it more personalised. To be honest, the less we communicate, the better. Because people are so busy these days, they don't they don't want to hear from you with emails every day. How many emails do you get every day in your inbox? It's so frustrating, and we understand that. We get that feedback from customers. Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, we speak with Angela Camper, who is the Executive Director for Brand, Digital and Communications at the New South Wales Department of Customer Service here in Australia. Now, many of you regular listeners would have listened to the interview that I did at the end of last year with William Murphy, who is Angela's boss, who gave us the sort of high-level view of exactly what it is that the customer service team at the New South Wales government are doing, and indeed leading the world in many ways about the way that they are communicating with citizens and stakeholders and the way they are delivering value. Now, Angela, like many uh, who are working in the public sector these days, has a great background in journalism. She worked with News Limited newspapers for 13 years, and she specialised in political and crime reporting and is the co-author of a non-fiction crime book, My Brother's Keeper, which was published in 2006. In her work in government, her vision is really to empower her team to lead and drive excellence in communications between government and its customers by ensuring that they are always effective, they are efficient, and they are impactful with each and every of those interactions. She joins me from the Customer Service Building in the centre of Sydney. Angela, welcome to GovComs. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. So listen, I always like to get the backstory um, to understand where people come from. So what is the Angela Campus story? So, well, I came from journalism, as you mentioned. I worked for the Daily Telegraph for many years, actually. And um, after quite a few years in newspapers, I'd met a lot of government people, um, had a lot of contacts in government. And I was really interested in what was happening on the other side. And, and when you move from journalism into government, people say, oh, you've moved from, to the other side. Yeah. Um, and, and what made you move there, you know? But a lot of the skills you have as a journalist, you can, you know, government uh, finds really useful. You know, being able to tell a story well, explain things and engage the community is a skill that a lot of journalists bring to government. So, um, and there's also that risk management skill, you know, um, as a journalist, you talk to a lot of stakeholders, a lot of industry, a lot of people in the community. Those listening skills are really important. You know, when government departments engage the community well and you bring those skills in, they get better outcomes on all their policy programs overall, and it's better for everyone. What was your first job in government and what struck you about 
that job in, in terms of what was appealing about it? Well, I started working for RMS at the time and I, I really got involved in road safety campaigns. And there was um, so much we could do to, you know, influence people to do the right thing on the roads. And there was campaigns in development. So I got very much involved in that. And what was some of the, you know, there was so, so much interesting information um, around crash data that we could use to influence people to do the right things on the road. And it was about that storytelling that really attracted me uh, to the role. So that was where I started. And then I started doing um, a school, working in partnership with the education department to do road safety education campaigns, um, working with uh, stakeholders like the NRMA um, to make sure that you know we had drivers on board uh, before we launched major programs. Uh, so that was um, where the exciting part was for me. It's worthwhile and indeed engaging work often when you are working inside government and getting your hands on those great stories and thinking about how are you going to best present those to uh, the audiences that you are seeking to reach, uh, to influence and to engage. So what barriers did you find when you first started into this path? Because I know a lot of people in journalism are often thinking about you know, well, should I go and work in government? But often there's a little bit of a resistance to, as you mentioned before, you know, going to the dark side uh, and, and selling out, so to speak. But what did you find in your experience in, in coming in and how did you deal with some of those inevitable frustrations that do come when you are working inside a, a bureaucracy? Um, sometimes people are a bit sceptical of journalism. So when you first start in government, you know, people have been burnt perhaps in the past or a story hasn't been told the way they want it, wanted it to be told. So when you come in as a journalist, you need to kind of sell yourself a little bit in the beginning and start really focus on building those internal relationships and showing how your storytelling can help them to get the right message across um, in a better way um, so people can listen and engage with the content. So it took a little bit of time, probably about six months for me to really get my head around who I needed um, to build a relationship with so that um, we could, uh, I could be influential, let's say. Mm. So with those relationships, and it's a, it's a theory I've been rolling uh, through the GovComs podcast for a while now, and it's the sort of evolving and emerging leadership potential for communications inside government organisations by, you know, leading by getting up and walking around and building the relationships and being out in the different areas and talking to people and, and sourcing uh, the different uh, stories that you need uh, to explain government policy and program services and, and regulations. What's your view about that potential leadership role of comms and comms becoming more influential in the digital age? Well, it's really that's a really good question because um, you know in in the past people would often go to comms in a crisis, um, but now they've realised that well we actually have to engage the community before we make a decision. So we we're playing a different role now, and and we're really demonstrating that when you engage the community, um, you get a, a much better policy outcome or if or program outcome or if you're building a road or whatever you're doing in government. Um, if you 
bring people along, uh, you're going to get a better outcome. And selling those services or selling that particular benefit, do you find that there is now more appetite for that? So comms is moving away from the traditional sort of end of the line function, um, what I describe as the colouring in department uh, and being seen much more as a strategic partner in policy and program development. Oh, definitely. I mean, if you look at, you know, one thing we're developing at the moment is the digital birth certificate. So in the old days, you would have built a digital product and and then put it in the market and tested it. But now we're asking people, what do they want to see in the digital birth certificate? You know, what are the things that are going to make them feel more secure about using a digital birth certificate? And that's well before we build anything. So um, that's... That's how comms has really changed in government and um, uh, that's what makes it a little bit more exciting because you feel like you're having more impact. Yeah. So in terms of your team, you're the executive director of brand, digital and communications as part of that wider team um, that you do have there at the New South Wales government. Can you just describe to us just exactly... uh, how many people you have in your team, what are their roles and and what does a sort of typical day look like for the brand digital and communications team at the Department of Customer Service in New South Wales? So we have close to 200 people in the team and there's two major functions that we play. One is a central agency role that we have and that is how we support the rest of the government agencies. So, you know, transport, Department of Justice, education, health, we play a major role in supporting them. And uh, the way that we support them is we have a capability team that develops programs um, to make sure that comms people across government, there's about 2,000 comms people across government, so we need to make sure that they're skilled in the right direction. Um, And that's in social media, websites, media, um, all the different comms function, design, brand, video development, content development, um, you name it. Um, These are all things needed in government. Um, So we need to make sure that that our comms teams across government are evolving with um, the communications field. So that's one role that we play. The other big role that we play is we've got really big communication channels here at the Department of Customer Service. And when I say large channels, I'm talking about we started a few years ago, we started with an email to customers with about 20,000 people on it. And now we're reaching 5 million customers who've opted into our emails to find out government information. So it's a really big channel. And that's not just putting together an email and loading it up. It's it's a digital platform. It's making sure you've got links in it that click straight through to information customers need. Um, It's making sure the information is timely and relevant to customers. It's making sure that the information that we're giving customers is information that they need. You know, if, if, if we're communicating to people in Penrith, we don't want to be doing an email blast to 5 million people about information for people in Penrith. So we will we'll be more targeted in that way. So that's a big machine. Um, the other thing we do, we do, um, our team also assesses government 
um, campaigns. There's about 80 campaigns we assessed last year and we make sure that uh, those campaigns are highly effective. Um, so we've got a peer review process where we assess the campaigns, um, looking at um, how targeted they are, um, is the content, has the content been tested, does it resonate with community, so we can uh, make sure that the awareness is effective for some of our campaigns. Um, and of course, there's a, a big role in our team for uh, branding. So. Um, you know, it's not just about putting a Waratah logo here in New South Wales. We've got the Waratah logo and it's not just about putting a logo on something, but the brand is a whole lot more. It says where this service is coming from. If you've got a complaint or you've got a positive piece of feedback, you need to know who is delivering that service. So we've got a brand uh, framework here in our team that we deliver for the rest of government and we do that as well. And we've got social media channels and um, multiple social media channels um, and, um, and also the media team that we've got here as well um, and a, a huge um, stakeholder engagement team that was during COVID reaching out to 3,000 stakeholders a week. Take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just pick apart some of that because, you know, there's there's a lot there and I think people are always interested in how people assemble their teams and what roles they do and, you know, what's the benefit and impact that they're, they're seeking to create. So just perhaps before we jump into that, clearly, you know, the Department of Transport, the Department of Health will have their own comms teams, but as the central uh, agency, are you just looking at that from a capability point of view or do you also influence strategy or does that come from another central area that may be operating in perhaps uh, the Department of Premier and, and Cabinet? So we do influence strategy. Um, the Department of Premier and Cab Cabinet have other str strategic objectives, but ours is more about customer. So um, when it comes to engaging with customers, um, we kind of, we set the standards and best practice for that. And we work with other government agencies to make sure that we meet those standards. So as I was talking before about campaigns, um, we make sure that campaigns across government, those 80 campaigns, we don't deliver all those campaigns, but we support government to make sure they have best practice there when reaching customers. Mm. Now, in terms of uh, capability building, which is obviously... Uh, the flavour of the month uh, yes. and the year, it really is is something that, uh, you know, there's a general uplift, not just in Australia, but around the world about how do we lift up that capability. And you mentioned that there is a library, there are courses, there are all sorts of things that people can do. How, in fact, do people then access those services in their day-to-day? -day? So if I'm working in, for example, I don't know, the Department of Regional Development, how would I access that capability uplift? Is it through uh, uh, accessing and learning it on a digital platform or do I attend courses? And indeed, does New South Wales have a framework that covers the whole of the, um, like a hierarchy that uh, for communications officers that covers the whole of the public service or communications people in the public service? Or is it not as uh, rigid or as structured as that at the moment? So you do have hierarchies in each uh, cluster, let's say. 
Um, so you've got a hierarchy at transport of communications people and, and we have a hierarchy here at customer service department. But not all the departments play a central agency role like we do. Um, and the heads of all the departments, um, we all meet. I chair a meeting once a month, for instance, with all those heads and we talk about what are the things we need to focus on. And, and we've got a central hub where people can access information um, and, and learn about what the latest is. We also shoot an email out to all the communications professionals with the latest uh, and greatest. And, um, you know, what makes a good video? What makes good social media? Um, what are the things, how, how are we researching these days? How are we testing things? All of those things, there's a community of practice across government. How many people would you train in any given year? Each department does their own training. Yeah. And so within here, like we're, we're coaching and training and, and driving people to content um, every day. Mm. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it. yeah, exa well, and that's, that's fair enough too, isn't it? Because, you know, that formal way of I do mm. a course, I sit the course, I finish the course, I have a tick. You know, as you say, yeah. it's far more iterative these days where people are learning, acquiring new skills, developing new skills, um, you know, taking on new challenges all the time. So, listen, I'm, I'm fascinated by this growth in the, uh, this email uh, platform that's gone from 20,000 to 5 million. How did you do that? You know, it's, it's about having interesting content on there, mm. but making sure that um, it's, you know, it's content that's going to be of interest to customers. Um, and, you know, what, one thing that gets people in, we had our cost of living campaign recently and we had a big um, savings finder platform on Service New South Wales and you can go in there and find all the government rebates and savings in one location. And we would send out an email and say, you know, if you're a parent, download your active kids voucher and you're getting $100 there. So, so things like that got a lot of interest and started to grow the email service. But if we're engaging on a policy even, so in the old days, we would, um, you know, put a submission up on a policy um, and um, and hope that someone would come and look at it on the website and give us feedback. But now we're using that email service to say, hey, you know, come and engage on the environment or um, on strata management laws that we're changing um, or mental health at work. And, and people are piling into those engagements because of that email service. People want to get involved in government. Our, our um, customer data has shown us that people definitely want to get involved in the decision-making. So we're making it easier for them. Hmm. But relevance is obviously key, as you mentioned uh, previously, that mm. you know, it's got to be relevant to people because, as you say, they're not going to be, you know, it, if I'm in Canberra or say if I'm in Yass, I really don't care that much about what's happening in Penrith. So how do you go about that, that segmentation and that targeting? Is How powerful and how granular uh, is, is that targeting? You know, how accurate can you, can you make it for particular communities? Yeah, well, that depends on your database. And, you know, it's really important to ask people if they want information based on the information they've provided. So if, if someone, for instance, if we have a database of people who have school-aged children, which we can do in, in the case of the active kids vouchers, 
and we've asked people, do you want us to send you information that applies to you if you've got kids? So doing that uh, allows us to be more personalised with our communications. And, and that's definitely the future for us in government communications, you know, making it more personalised. To be honest, the less we communicate, the better. Because mm. people are so busy these days, mm. they don't they don't want to hear from you with emails every day. How many emails do you get every day in your inbox? You know, it's so frustrating, and we understand mm. that. We get that feedback from customers. So what we're trying to do is, rather than have multiple government departments emailing you about the same thing, we send one email a month, and have the important information in there. And if we can segment it, that's even better. So, and we see open rates well beyond 50%, especially in the segmented emails because people are more interested in the information and it's important. And we write those emails in a way that's not government talk, you know, it's it's about speaking to people and engaging with them. Mm. Now, at New South Wales, you've done a cracking job over a number of years now to sort of develop and evolve this operating model because there's clearly your team, mm. but then there's the research team, the data team, and there are others uh, who maybe, you know, f- fit sort of slightly outside of where you are at the moment. But if I could ask sort of you to look a little bit further into the future, you know, this two, three, four years down the track and taking up that point around personalization and greater relevance and impact, how do you see government communications teams evolving in order to better service customers? I think communications teams are going to be more involved in policy and product development in future. I I see that evolving even more. Um, I I see that government is really appreciating the work that comms people are doing now and and I can see growth in that area. Um, The important thing too is, is that when you work in government, you communicate to everybody. So you can't just communicate to one group. Um, You have to be there for all communities. And so in future, I see more uh, communication in language to multicultural communities. Just recently, we've started sending that email out in in the top five languages, most used languages. Um, And we had just one email, we had 25,000 people read it in their own language. So yeah. you, you can see there that there's a real need for that. And if we're bringing skilled people into the country where English isn't their first language, this sort of communications is really important. We want to um, make sure that we engage those people and we keep them interested in what government's doing. Mm. It was interesting, the review that was done by E61, a think tank, into the federal government's response to the COVID um, crisis in fact, I think that was recommendation number four, mm. uh, if I remember correctly, that certainly that the federal government at least needs to massively uh, improve its ability to be able to communicate effectively with people people from non-English speaking backgrounds, because a lot of the hotspots and, and difficult areas uh, were in those areas where there are greater numbers of people without, um, from a... Uh, you know, culturally and linguistically diverse background. So, yeah, that's clearly going to be something uh, that needs to be focused on. But how then do you do that? How do you start to lift up again that capability inside government such that 
you know, the mindset's there straight away mm. to be starting to think about multiple languages, but then to be able to do it in a way that's effective because communicating in different languages is, you know, to different cultures is, you know, that's a sophisticated business. Yeah, it's a good question. And one of the things that we're doing is hiring people who are part of the community we serve. So it, you, you've got to get people in who want to communicate to that community, you know, that have a passion for it. Uh, it really makes a difference. Um, during COVID, um, especially when during the Delta outbreak, you know, we, we could see that um, we had people in parts of Sydney who, you know, weren't understanding our message or, um, you know, really struggled to understand the need to get vaccinated. And we had a responsibility there to help people understand. The only way we we're going to do that was to engage the community itself, engage community leaders on a daily basis. Um, and we, we had a campaign even um, called Let's Do This at, at one stage to try and get people to get vaccinated. And we had lots of images of um, all the things we're going to be able to do once we get vaccinated and, and, and um, to keep COVID at bay. Um, but that, that message in itself didn't resonate as much with the, uh, our multicultural communities, the Let's Do This message. So we had to change that key message to let's get vaccinated, as simple as that. Um, and a lot of them wanted to go overseas and visit their families and all, all of that. Um, so we we changed the mess we changed the message for different communities, and and that's how that's how you get it done. You know, you listen to what they've got to say. Mm. It's it's fascinating, isn't it? But you do ultimately then need to yes, you need to be adaptable and agile and be able to move to to that solution which you clearly identified, but then. You you do you do also have to have the technology and the platform to be able to manipulate it in such a way that you can then reach these people with this personalised, relevant content. So, how are you dealing with those ongoing changes in technology? How do how do you keep abreast of best practice? And do you have people who are assisting you in the uh, brand digital and communications team around some of the software and other applications that you might be using to to achieve these outcomes? Absolutely. You know, social media platforms are changing all the time. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at doing more customer service on, on social media uh, because people are there. You know, we have so many millions of Australians using social media, so we need to be where the market is. Um, and, and those platforms are changing. We need to understand them. And we have people who are experts in this area um, who are looking at uptake, length of videos, simple things like that to see, you know, are, are people listening to this message or not? And we, we do a lot of reporting on, um, on every channel that we have to see if it's working. And if it's not working, we ask the question why. Um, mm. Sometimes we'll go to, or a lot of the times we'll go to customers or we'll watch the, the trends on our channels and see mm. what why is in this resonating? It's our responsibility to do that to make sure everybody gets a message. Yeah, so so this sense of set and forget, that's all pretty much over and you're really looking at it in real time almost to understand what those trends are, what those changes are, what those adjustments are in order for you to be able to then almost in real time, I imagine, be able to respond 
um, to to reframe, to re- refit the content into the format, into the channel at the right length, at the right time in order to have that impact. That's right. That's exactly right. That's it's pretty exciting though, about. isn't it? It sure That's is. A pretty, but, but it's a pretty exciting, you know, it sort of conjures up these notions of, you know, sitting in a control room and, and content moving out into the ecosystem and, you know, did it work? Did it not work? You know, what are we going to do? And it's it's almost that continual uh, movement, continuous improvement and, and adaption, uh, which I don't think notionally people would, many people would think about that, you know, that's what you'd be doing if you went and worked in government communications. Well, you know, I, I think the formation of the customer service department really made a difference there because rather than it being more about like media and in planning media events and being reactive, um, we started being more proactive by going out there and finding out well, what do customers really want to hear yeah. here. Now, listen, just a quick one before we get going, because you've been very generous with your time, but just that point that you raised around policy Mm. and comms strategists being invited into the room early into the process to start helping with that consideration of, you know, putting the customer at the centre, you know, the famous Amazon uh, uh, apocryphal story where they begin their meetings with one empty chair because that is the customer and we always have to be thinking about the customer. How are you seeing that playing out and how can people who want to be more involved in in policy and program development be able to put forward uh, the case that you know comms really does need a seat at the table if indeed you're going to be effective? Well, a couple of years ago, um, we um, made a real change on our New South Wales government website, our Have Your Say section. So um, uh, we decided, like, you, I, I don't know if you've ever made a, a given feedback to government, but um, sometimes there'd be some really thick PDF document that used yeah. to go on the website and, yeah. and there used to be, you know, a line underneath <laughs> saying, give your feedback to this document in an email, you know. <laughs> Um, but um, now what's happening is uh, last couple of years we've done over 120 consultations on, on different policies and, and programs and, um, and, and it's on your phone, short surveys, quick polls, um, little groups you can join to have a chat about it. There's someone there waiting to answer any questions on our Have Your Say platform. And we're going from having a few responses um, with feedback on a policy to thousands. And I, I'm talking when when we did um, strata consultation a couple of years ago on the strata laws, um, you know, we had 15,000 people responding. So that's a big difference. And that's where you're really capturing not just those peak bodies who have a, have a say, yes, but you're yeah. capturing the people where it matters to them, the people who are really going to be affected by this policy. And that's what's important. Excellent. Well, listen, Angela, we could speak all night uh, about government communications because it is so fascinating and it's evolving and it's becoming more important, more relevant and again, it's great to see, uh, you know, the New South Wales government having done such wonderful work in this space and being recognised globally as one of the leaders, as the OECD has done, uh, continuing to examine the, the New South Wales model as it seeks to understand what does that operating model look like? Because really, the, the application of what you're doing in New South Wales is just as relevant here as it is in New Zealand or Jakarta or 
uh, Malaysia or London or anywhere else because I think, you know, it's that ability to be able to use digital technologies to listen, as you mentioned before, that important skill, that journalistic skill, but also a skill of all great communicators to listen and understand and then to be able to to take those insights and turn them into better policy and better programs. So congratulations to you. Congratulations to the team. And thank, thank you, you so much for, uh, for joining us uh, on GovComs. Most welcome. There we go. What an outstanding professional, you know. And again, another. It's great to see the journalist, you know, hopping the fence. Uh, it's not the dark side. I did it myself a number of years ago, and I don't feel like I went to the dark side at all. I went into a very interesting place where you can really have impact and use those skills uh, to be able to to, to better assist uh, communities. And isn't it great to see someone of uh, Angela's uh, pedigree? I didn't get to ask her about my brother's keeper, but that was you know a big deal, uh, a very big deal, and and a distinguished journalist, and, and be, to be able to have someone of her skill, knowledge, and experience applying them in the best interests of the people of New South Wales. That's got to be good for the people of New South Wales. So thank you very much to Angela and thanks to the Customer Service Department in the Government of New South Wales. Thanks to you, the audience, for coming back once again. Another great conversation. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks. But for the moment, my name is David Pembroke and it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.